This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Oh, listen, I always think that you and I are both the luckiest people in the world because we get together and we get a chance to meet phenomenally interesting people that will stimulate the frontal core of that brain of yours and mine at the same time. And we'll also have a few laughs along the way because that's also what The God Show is about. Uh, we, uh, we today are even double lucky because we're going to be in the company of two. Yes, two for the price of one. Wherever you are on this planet, you're not paying. And for free, you get two guests because Robert Ellsberg tastefully decided to write a book about the writings that he shared with a very special woman. Now, you know uh, perhaps the name Ellsberg, uh, Robert Ellsberg, publisher and editor-in-chief of Orbis Books, editor of five volumes of writing by Dorothy Day, and uh, you may also know the name Ellsberg because he's the son of Daniel Ellsberg, the whistleblower who leaked the Pentagon Papers. And if you're not old enough to remember either the Papers or the Pentagon, (laughs) then you're really going to have an education here. With Sister Wendy, which is a consecrated hermit who lived in the grounds of the Quidnum Carmelite Monastery in England. She lived in uh, what uh, we know as a little trailer house. And uh, and she wrote, and she wrote for her television appearances on the BBC and later PBS, but she also wrote an enormous amount of of correspondence, almost daily, to Robert Ellsberg, who corresponded with the same kind of volume and passion. And Robert, I'm so glad you're here with us to talk about the person that you refer to in the book as Dearest Sister Wendy. Subtitle, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. Uh, She was released from vows, vows to be a hermit, but I kind of think of her, Robert, as your dance partner. Is that inappropriate? I think that's a nice way of, of, of putting it, uh, dancing uh, remotely uh, through the Internet uh, at a distance. But, uh, yeah, there was, there, was, there was definitely a back and forth and a, a kind of listening to one another and responding to the cues and the, the one, one time one of us leading and the other following and then, uh, then switching it up. Uh, yeah, that was the last uh, three years of her life uh, when she was... Uh, was too ill or weak and old to to live by herself in her trailer uh, anymore and moved into a cell in the on the monastery grounds and in, in the enclosure of the Carmelite monastery. You and I call uh, it a trailer, she called it a caravan. Caravan. And she thing. also called uh, the method of communication her machine. Well, it wasn't even her machine. <laughs> she she had a uh, a sister who who uh, one of the Carmelite sisters, uh, an American nun, who would uh, who was responsible for sort of caring for her, 
and would come in every day to bring her her provisions. She just had one meal a day and uh, would you know help her get books from the library, uh, would wheel her in a wheelchair up to Mass. Uh, she wasn't part of the community, so she would worship from an alcove above the of the uh, of the monastery chapel, uh, and not least, she would help her with her correspondence uh, because I, I had been exchanging notes with Sister Wendy for many years, uh, and her handwriting was notoriously inscrutable. You 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 it was really you needed like a Rosetta Stone or something to to interpret it. So over the years, I had scores and scores of little uh, postcards and notes from her. Uh, but it was uh, through the uh, ministry of Sister Leslie, her her, her helper, uh, that suddenly became possible to communicate through legible emails, uh, and it turned out she had quite a lot to say, and and it was possible to to read every word, uh, and so but she was she was very old fashioned in her knowledge of, of technology in the modern world, really, and so yes, she called uh, Sister Leslie, Leslie's laptop her her machine. Oh, she had a lot to. She had a lot to say, Robert. You'll acknowledge yeah. about everything. We associate her because of the television series. We associate her almost exclusively with the world of art. But mm-hmm. regarding the Catholic Church, uh, she's quoted as saying, "I can imagine that in years to come, it will seem incredible that the Church would not ordain women or married men." We're in the interim period, able to see clearly that this is a need not only for those who long to be ordained, but for the people without a priest. That's truly a look into the future, isn't it? Well, it, it, the, the, the only remarkable thing about that really is that, is that Sister uh, Wendy gave the appearance, you know, so much of being uh, some kind of throwback to the Middle Ages, uh, she wore this very old-fashioned uh, habit uh, of her own kind of uh, devising, uh, and uh, you know lived in a in a monastery, uh, had very little uh, you know experience or or exposure in the outside world except for these this, these years when she was doing her uh, television program about art, and so people would you know maybe look at her and say, well, there's that must be very conservative, uh, old-fashioned kind of nun. Um, and I won't say that she was a wild uh, liberal or anything like that, but she was really a, uh, she was a, a, a mystic and uh, a deeply spiritual person, uh, very uh, attuned, you know, to the spirit of Pope Francis, whom she and I uh, shared great affection for, uh, a great a reader, uh, a student of, you know, lives of the saints. Uh, one of the things that brought us together was our you know, love of Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker, and her own kind of fascination with the the Trappist monk uh, Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, she, from her little solitary, uh, you know, in, in enclosure there, uh, she really was very far-seeing uh, and was not inhibited, you know, by uh, you know some idea of 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 what a what a nun should sound like or what a hermit should sound like. Uh, but she really went, you know, deeply to the heart of of the gospel, I think, and, and lived in that space. We've done programs about Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton and the popes of the Catholic Church. We've also done programs about gender, and, and this is what this is what Sister Wendy 
had to say about this as we quote her through the eyes and the mind and the experience of Robert Ellsberg and his book, Dearest Sister Wendy. About gender, she said, my own feeling about gender is that it doesn't really matter. Now, this, this is a totally cloistered nun uh, who referred to herself as a hermit. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It seems to me that what we love in our friends is their humor and their goodness and their intelligence and what gender they are doesn't play any part in this. Uh, she doesn't sound like a woman of the age that she was, does she? No, no. She was. She had a. There was a kind of a, a freedom to her. Uh, people picked that up. You know, I think even in her her art programs, her television shows, and it, it was sort of irritating to her that almost every article about Sister Wendy would always say, oh, and she was, she would speak so uh, frankly and, you know, about, about the human anatomy and about <laughs> uh, this sort of thing. And she thought, well, what, what, what do they, they think a nun is, uh, is a prude or, or is embarrassed about, about sex or the human body, uh, where she thought that all these things are created by God uh, and, uh, and, they're, and are good, you know, in their, their correct purpose. And uh, so uh, there was, you know, there was something just very uh, open about her, and uh, there was no kind of shyness or reticence about, you know, really speaking her mind. About anatomy, about religion, or about thoroughbred racing. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) I I couldn't get this one out of my mind, Robert. This one, and I'm and I'm telling you these uh, isolated bits of uh, of conversation from Sister Wendy because I wanted you to know her as we get to know Robert Ellsberg. But this is her gift for racing tips. She said, "It turned out I had a strange gift, not so much of knowing which horse would win, but of knowing which horse most wanted to win." And since racing, like most things, depends on what you want, I was nearly always right. <laughs> What's wonderful about that is is that, yes, it is her gift, but there's also that message about something as personal and as motivational as who wants to win the most, right? She, uh, she, she often had just a, a very surprising kind of uh, interest in various things that you would think that she would know nothing about. Here's somebody who had never been to a movie in her life. Uh, only when she was traveling and staying in hotels uh, did she ever watch television. And she would be interested in, you know, like a visitor from a different planet in, in, in what, you know, programs about sports uh, or Star Trek, uh, or things like that. That were not part of her life. She never went to concerts. She, she, uh, you know, uh, she, 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 she didn't listen to music, uh, and so she, she kind of saw things with a fresh eye, and it was very surprising to discover that that she claimed that she had a special gift at the at the racetrack. She never went to the racetrack, but but just you know, looking at horses on television. She even said that she had a friend who said she would, uh, you know, take uh, Sister Wendy's picks and go to the you know racetrack and would bet uh, on them. And it turned out that she actually won, uh, but her friend 
had never done this before and didn't really know how to place the bets. And so it, she didn't make any reward off of that. But I'd said that if, you know, if, if, uh, if she'd really made a living at this, 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 she probably would have been even more famous than, than she would for her, for her, uh, you know, knowledge of art. Why did you write her the first time? Well, I didn't exactly write her for the first time. Uh, as I said, uh, our, our connection started many years ago, uh, when she wrote me a note, uh, as the, uh, editor of Orbis Books, asking whether we could possibly, uh, uh, donate some damaged copies of a history of Vatican II that we had published uh, to the library of the monastery where she lived. And of course, I saw the name Sister Wendy Beckett, and I thought, oh my goodness, because I, I knew her from television. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, sent her a set of these books. <laughs> it turned out to be a very good investment uh, in, in, in our future relationship. And after that, I would send her books from time to time. She would endorse things. Uh, she liked some of the books that I had written or edited myself, especially uh, writings of Dorothy Day. Uh, so she would send me Easter cards and things like that, a little just back and forth over over many years. Uh, and but in fact, the the significant thing about about Sister Wendy was that she actually was not an extrovert at all. You know, by by vocation and by nature, she really was a a hermit and a, lived a solitary life. And in general, she felt that, you know, correspondence and relationships with people on the outside, as long as they were functional and limited, were okay. But she didn't really encourage relationships like that. And so the, the funny thing was after she'd moved into the monastery uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't expect I would ever hear from her again, and she, uh, her sister Leslie, contacted me and said, "We we sent you a an Easter card, but it came back, couldn't uh, be delivered. And it turned out because our our post office box had changed." So I emailed back and I said, "Well, here's the address." And I happened to mention uh, that we were publishing a book that I thought Sister Wendy would enjoy. It was a book of the letters of, of Vincent Van Gogh, and she uh, responded to that personally uh, with great interest. And this was part of a series we were publishing called Modern Spiritual Masters. We published dozens of books by some of the great spiritual teachers of our time. And she was very interested in that, and she was interested in our um, common passion for lives of the saints and and spiritual teachers. And so we began just a little back and forth about this. Now, I I assumed that very uh, quickly she would kind of uh, reassert the boundaries, and that would be the end of that. But the letters kept coming back and forth, uh, and she would write, and I would respond, and I would write, and she would respond. So it, it was hard to say that there was a beginning. There was just a moment where we discovered that this had become a very important part of our of our lives for both of us. Uh, I would wake up in the morning looking forward to, you know, if I had it in my inbox, a letter from Sister Wendy, and just about every day there was. Uh, and this continued in this miraculous way. Uh, right up to to her to her death three years later. So the correspondence lasted for three years. Well, in the as 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 covered in this book, I have a a prologue where I I include some examples of the of the sort of previous correspondence that's kind of significant, primarily because it's very clear that that Sister Wendy is not encouraging a, a protracted. Uh, uh, correspondence. In fact, then there was a gap of a couple of years 
before this suddenly started. And when it did, it was almost like a like a match that started a uh, you know a fire. Yes. Uh, that just just quickly. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't any kind of long protracted wind up. It just almost within days or weeks, we were really in the thick of it. Uh, and that's when that really continued right up until her death. Well, no, it certainly goes beyond pen pals because you share so much professionally and socially. Uh, and sharing all those years and your personal thoughts, uh, your your family, Monica, uh, the children, I must tell you, and this is an assumption that... Uh, that I came to, when I got to the last page of the book, I really thought you loved her, that she was so much more than someone you admired. Well, there's no doubt about that. Uh, what's what's remarkable, and I don't know whether you perceive this as, as well, but it, I think it's quite clear that she loved me too. It, it really is a yes. love story. Is that yes. I don't want to, you know, not just not just friends that. That uh, Sister Wendy, who had never, she knew many people, and in her writing and her, you know, television program, she got to know a lot of producers and curators and museum people and television people. Uh, and so, as she said, there are lots of people who sort of think of themselves as my friends, but but she really had always kind of kept people at a distance. And so this was a very uh, uncharacteristic and unprecedented experience for her because in the beginning, you know, we we wrote about things that we were both interested in, about saints and holiness and that sort of thing. Uh, but very quickly, it, it came into just a deep kind of uh, communion uh, between us of where, where, and it wasn't just one way. I mean, yes, she... She really helped me look at my own life and God's presence in my story, and was always, you know, encouraging me to to uh, to think about all of the uh, graces that I had received in my life and the way that God was present even in in experiences of, of failure, or doubt, or, or, or sadness. Um, but uh, what's remarkable is that you know, I won't say through me, but through this uh, relationship, uh, she also began to do something that she had never done before, which is really to to look back and think about her own life. Uh, early on in our correspondence, I, you know, with my sort of publisher's hat on, I'd said it would be wonderful if you would uh, think about, you know, writing more about your, your, your journey and your interior life. And she just scoffed at that, that that's the last thing I would ever want to do. I've, you know, that's, that would be of no interest to anybody. There's nothing there to say because she was such a, she lived so much in the presence of, of, of God and her life of prayer that she really didn't think there was any story to tell there. Uh, and so, you know, but gradually as I would, you know, share stories about my own life, she would begin to, to kind of step out of this and respond and you know, and I would say, I would describe something that happened to me, and I'd say, did you ever feel like that? And she began kind of coming out of this, of this, uh, you know, kind of shell, uh, and uh, talking about her early childhood, uh, her whole religious uh, vocation, which had, you know, a very, very interesting story, because she had uh, wanted to be a nun from as early as she could remember, and she joined uh, this uh, religious order, the 
uh, Notre Dame sisters when she was 16, uh, thinking that this would be a life devoted uh, to you know to prayer all the time, and not really calculating what it meant to join a teaching order like the School Sisters of Notre Dame, uh, and meant that she was going to be in a classroom with with, with students and kids, uh, something really extremely uncongenial for her. And yet she accepted this as, well, she'd made a vow, it was her commitment. Uh, and and eventually, though, you know, it, it led to her a kind of a nervous breakdown. Mm. And she'd always wanted to have permission to leave and become a hermit, and they always said, no, no, your vocation is to, to teach. And finally, uh, they decided to let her go, okay, you know, and she got a dispensation to leave this order that she'd been in for, for decades, and then found her incredible happiness as a as a hermit. And she expected that, you know, she would stay living in her trailer and would never be heard from again. But then she began writing some things about art, uh, partly to help support the monastery, and she was discovered amazingly by the BBC and gave her, her a television program and you know, quite inconsistent with the life of a hermit, you could say. But she 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 had the feeling that it was really an apostolate, it was kind of a ministry, that going about and talking about art was for her, she said, a way of talking about God to people who would be uncomfortable or unfamiliar with that kind of language. Um, and she also you know, wrote books about, about art. And this lasted through the 90s, and she became this very unlikely celebrity. She was interviewed you know, everywhere, and there were profiles of her. Um, but it was, for her, it was a detour, and it was a, a kind of a, a sideline for a while. And she was very happy when it was over and went back to just being a solitary uh, hermit again. Um, but I dare say that Sister Wendy had never really, uh, I don't know, I think experienced real love for another you know person in this way uh and it it there was something very maternal about it i don't mean to suggest anything other than that but that uh and in in the process of it you see her growing and changing herself i mean i think one of the reasons and i i suspect in the beginning that 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 we got into this was she mentioned in our first exchange you know that she was had a had a terminal uh illness a hardening of her lungs made breathing very uh, very difficult. And I think she felt, you know, that she was kind of her last last months, possibly. Now it lasted a little bit longer than that. Um, but I think it, it possibly was one of the things that my kind of reaching out to her in this relationship we developed uh, that made it possible for her to... Um, to explore some things and, and, and to grow in ways that, that had never been possible before and that she, I think, came as a complete surprise to her as much as it was to me. Our guest, Robert Ellsberg, has co-written uh, the book Dear Sister Wendy. Co-written because the author's acknowledgement and credit at the bottom of the book is for both Robert Ellsberg and Sister Wendy Beckett. It's correspondence over those years and an enormous amount of information about each other, about the world of art, about the world of spirituality, of uh, mainstream religion. A surprising story of faith and friendship is the, uh, is the subtitle. But I am curious, 
since I am loath unless it's absolutely necessary. I am loath to attach celebrity famed relative names to our guests because they have that happen so constantly every time they're introduced to someone at a cocktail party. Oh, this is Robert Ellsberg. You probably may not know him uh, as the editor-in-chief of uh, Orbis Books, but you probably know him as the son of Daniel Ellsberg, the whistleblower who leaked the Pentagon Papers. You've lived that all your life. I introduced you at the beginning of the program uh, in association with your other accomplishments as that, because I wanted the audience to know. But since I felt an obligation to do that, I wonder what Sister Wendy had to say, if anything, about your father, because he was so much a part of American history during that period of time, and to some a traitor, and to some a patriot. Um, early on in our correspondence, I, I said you, you, you may have heard of my father. I, I wasn't saying that to name drop, but just because I, you know, to, 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 to tell her a little bit more about my own, you could say, unusual childhood and background. Uh, my uh, father uh, copied the, the top secret Pentagon Papers in 1969 and, in fact, uh, asked me to help him uh, you know, a couple of times. I was I was 13 at the time. Uh, 1971, when the Pentagon Papers were published, uh, he was arrested. He faced 115 years in prison. Uh, and he was on trial while I was in high school. So all of that was kind of the background of my life. My parents were divorced. I grew up with my mother. And, uh, and, and there's no doubt that a lot of who I am comes out of that experience and the questions that it, it raised about what my life was for. Uh, I think my father wanted to set an example uh, for his children that uh, that there were uh, that there were things for which you might be called upon to undergo risk, uh, sacrifices for the world, for other people, for the cause of, of peace. And that was one of the things that you know led me then to uh, leave college when I was 19 to go work with Dorothy Day at the Catholic Worker, uh, not knowing that I would end up working there for five years, that I would become a Catholic while I was there. Uh, I was raised in the Episcopal Church by my mother. And so in, in kind of interesting ways, uh, the influence of both my parents, my my my, my mother, who, who just put more emphasis on, on character and decency and goodness, uh, uh, and uh, you know, raised me in, in you know, you know, in a Christian uh, atmosphere, uh, and then my father's kind of strong emphasis on 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 making a difference in the world somehow, uh, kind of combined uh, after many years in my you know work uh, at Orbis Books, where I I happened to find myself as the editor in chief of a publishing house, uh, very much concerned with. Uh, the relation between faith and the world, uh, promoting peace and social justice. Uh, I've been here for 35 years uh, now, so that's the context of my life. But it also then from Dorothy Day, and I think from my father too, uh, this fascination that I've always had with saints and 
of the and 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 moral witnesses and the power that uh, the example of somebody whether you call them a saint a spiritual master a a, a hero of some kind a peacemaker a, a crusader for justice the influence that that life can have on others uh and so that led me into uh, another you know part of my life which was writing about saints uh beginning with a book that I I wrote 25 years ago it was published in exactly this month uh called All Saints uh that was a, a book of daily reflections on on saints prophets and witnesses for our time and I it was kind of a a a, a book that reflected the experience of saints and witnesses that I learned from Dorothy Day, who now herself has been proposed for canonization, um, but I, it became really the foundation of, of, a, of, a, of a life of, of work. I've done six books now about, about about saints, and that again was something that that Sister Wendy and I, you know, connected around because she's very very interested in that uh, subject. Uh, and she, you know, she loved reading my my daily reflections on saints, and that's something that we both uh, talked a lot about because we we really, you know, both agreed that that being a saint is not, you know, having special magic superpowers or something. It's really about somebody who is trying to walk the path of of discipleship. Uh, some go very far along that path; some not very far. And we were both very interested in the the whole question of of looking at one's own life as a kind of spiritual text that that our faith is not just a, a matter of certain things we believe in, but it's a, a kind of a kind of way that we travel. It's a kind of journey, uh, and and discovering and responding to where God is present in that journey. So all of those things go together for me. They they have roots very deep in my childhood and different ways and the, the path that led me through the Catholic worker and then led me to Sister Wendy. Why did you convert to Catholicism? Uh, well, you know, why does, why does anybody convert? Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of attraction, uh, something that you respond to that seems good and beautiful and true and uh and I experienced that through my time at the Catholic Worker but not just through Dorothy Day but to the uh, other stories of saints and holy people and the liturgy and the scripture that that just uh awakened something in my heart and and uh made me made me want to go deeper uh it was not a matter of converting from the Episcopal Church to the Catholic Church, but you know, a matter of just wanting to uh, being drawn more deeply by by the uh, image of Jesus uh, and wanting to experience Him more deeply in my life. But how big a uh, step is it from being an active member of the Episcopal Church to becoming a part of Roman Catholicism? Well, you know, I can't say I was uh, at that point in my life an active member of the Episcopal Church. In fact, I think I'd probably strayed away from any institutional identification with with the, the church. Uh, I was really drawn by the example of Gandhi, 
mm. uh, and other people, you know, especially young people in, during the Vietnam War who were engaged in civil disobedience and nonviolence uh, in, in the cause of peace and justice. That was a world that my father introduced uh, to me. And I really went to the Catholic worker by accident uh, to pursue my interest in Gandhi. Uh, and my first articles for the Catholic worker were, were about Gandhi. Uh, and Dorothy liked them so much that she asked me to become the editor of the, of the Catholic Worker newspaper. I was only uh, I was only 20 at the time, uh, and I wasn't a Catholic, uh, but she evidently saw some gifts <laughs> that I didn't recognize myself, given that that's you know was the start of, of my life's work and vocation. Um, and uh, so I, I was I was very attracted to people like the Berrigans and. As I learned more about Thomas Merton and figures like that, who uh, seemed to me to to embody the kind of radical uh, message of the gospel, and were living that out in a in a uh, you know in a heroic way. Uh, and so certainly it was at the Catholic Worker that I that I kind of became reconnected with uh, with uh, with Christianity in an organized way. But it was it was a while before I. I saw that that the church was not just the Catholic worker, uh, and it was really uh, during the time of kind of darkness in my own life uh, when I really felt uh, that I, you know, I just didn't have the faith to sustain me in this kind of work of the Catholic worker. I was working as a hospital orderly in a home for terminal cancer patients that was run by an order of Dominican sisters, and I I worked there the night shift from 1 a.m. to 8 in the morning sort of all by myself. And it was a time, it was a kind of my own sort of hermitage uh, time. Uh, I did a lot of reading and I found myself uh, reading people like Flannery O'Connor and, and uh, other Catholic novelists and, and uh, St. Augustine and Thomas Merton, people like that. Uh, and this just question suddenly came unforeseen in my heart, just what if I became a Catholic? And it I think that that in a similar way for Dorothy Day, it was a sense of not being attracted to 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 a church that you could totally understand, uh, or that you could just define according to your own terms, but one that sort of made a total claim on you uh, and was demanding something from you. And that's how it struck me at the time, and I think that's how it often strikes people who convert in some some way, whatever you want to call that. Same for Thomas Merton or, or, or others. Getting um, to know you, Robert, through the book and through your co- correspondence uh, uh, with Sister Wendy, uh, there are things about you and your life uh, that I found interesting, totally removed from the correspondence. And I had the question last night as I was finishing the book, what kind of an activist would your father be politically today? Well, my, my father's still alive. Um, he has... Uh, but how active since, politically is he? Well, he, he's, he's 91 now, so yes. uh, he's, he's not out there getting arrested as he has for most of the last 50 years. He's been arrested about 50 times. <laughs> my father is a real more activist. I, you know, I'm no kind of activist at all. But uh, a lot of his work in the last, uh, you know, decades has been trying to alert uh, people to the dangers of nuclear war, 
And then during the time that I was uh, working, uh, corresponding with Sister Wendy, I was, among other things, uh, helping my father edit or uh, complete his second volume of memoirs, a book called The Doomsday Machine. Mm-hmm. And that, that comes up in my, my correspondence with Sister Wendy, because uh, I, I really felt that, uh, you know, that I'm, uh, that I'm not an activist, uh, but there was you know, nothing I could do more for the cause of peace or for social justice than, than working with my father or some of these other great souls that I've had the opportunity to, to work with. And, and that is, you know, that, that, that's my contribution. Um, Through your book, I got to feel, at least, I got to feel as if I had an acquaintance, a close acquaintance with Sister Wendy and the things that she enjoyed and the things that disturbed her and the things that stimulated her mind, which was almost everything. Uh, I think I got a chance to find out a little bit more about her appreciation of art. But I know that with the fact that she accepted the role of the hermit that lived uh, in that tiny trailer uh, as her way of life. But while I seem to feel that I understand the closeness that she feels with Jesus and the saints. Can you tell me if you discovered what her personal relationship with the Catholic Church was? Well, uh, she didn't really distinguish. Uh, For her, the Church was the body of Christ. Uh, She was utterly rooted in in the sacraments. Uh, She felt uh, utter... Uh, devotion to to uh, Pope Francis and to uh, uh, teaching authority of the Church. Uh, she was uh, she she she. I don't think it could have even occurred to her to distinguish herself from the Church in any any way. Um, uh, so uh, you know, no, no, I don't think I don't. Uh, I, I think that 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 for her uh, the Church was. Uh, was the body of Jesus uh, in the world, um, and uh, she, you know, not in an exclusive way that excluded everybody else, but in a way that 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 uh, embraced uh, all of humanity and all of the earth and in, in, in God's love. For those who only know Sister Wendy as that PBS nun that taught so many of us about the world of art. Uh, who else was she? I don't know of anyone on the planet, including the sister who operated the machine, uh, that knew her any better than you. Well, she was very, very close to uh, the uh, now retired prioress of, of Quidnam, who had welcomed her uh, there originally, uh, Sister Rachel, who is uh, otherwise better known through her pen name, Ruth Burroughs. Uh, who Sister Wendy regarded as as one of the great uh, teachers and, and mystics of our time up there, which she would put with uh, Teresa of Lisieux or Teresa of Avila, and Ruth Burroughs was was a kind of modern reformer of the uh, Carmelite order in England, and she had uh, had whereas in the past a lot of the uh, Carmelite you know, monasteries were very very famous for uh, kind of the austerity of the life. 
and that everybody should sort of you know conform to this pattern of what a, a perfect nun should be. Uh, Ruth Burroughs, her sister Rachel, had really encouraged uh, creativity and individuality among the sisters, and so there's a, a great, a very humane kind of atmosphere in this in this monastery, which I was able to to visit uh, the year before Sister Wendy died and gave a retreat there. That's when I one time when I got to meet Sister Wendy face to face. But so she met regularly with Sister Rachel over 40 years. But uh, no, I, I think it's true. And Sister Wendy herself in our letters, you know, said as much uh, that she had never shared herself as intimately with anybody. And Sister Leslie, who knew her for many years and taking care of her and doing her correspondence, you know, says the same thing, that it was just astonishing to see her revealing herself. One thing I wish I'd, I, I'd mentioned earlier is that early on in our correspondence, you know, I, I said I had encouraged her to write more about her, her interior life and that sort of thing, and she had scoffed at that. And then at a certain point, she says, you know, it occurs to me that maybe the book that you had in mind is here in these letters. Now, that was very early on when we were still sort of not talking so personally, but talking about things that were important to us. Uh, and that was my first kind of signal that Sister Wendy herself recognized that what was happening between us might have a, a wider significance or meaning. And it's not that we were writing for an audience, but that we were we were not. Uh, it was not just idle chit chat, you know, with a pen pal. Uh, that we were both kind of uh, engaged in this dance, as, as you described it. Uh, and that it it had a meaning for 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 other people, and, that, and that's been the experience that I've had of everybody that I've shown this to. It's not just that you read this book and you love Sister Wendy or you know Sister Wendy in a better way, but people say it made me think about my own life in a way that I hadn't before, mm-hmm. uh, and to really uh, reflect deeply on you know faith is not just the things that I believe. But the ability to kind of see deeply into the presence of, of God in our own lives, uh, where we've come from, the things that have shaped us, the things that we've lost, the things that we've suffered, and the joys that we've experienced, and how that, all of it is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a kind of another, another gospel that's been written in our lives. And uh, both of us kind of explored that theme in so many different variations, uh, and I think that people are maybe entertained or, you know, by some of the humor in the book and some of the uh, personal things that we share. But ultimately, I, I think that it, people will read this and and feel that uh, it's it's uh, calling them to, to look into their own hearts in a, in a, in a deeper way. And I, so I, I think that Sister Wendy was, was really right, that there was a purpose to this. Uh, and I, I can't think that it was just a kind of a, uh, a miracle that 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 I came along at this point and and found the kind of key that unlocked this uh, hidden door um, and uh, revealed so much I think of importance to the world. Finally, meeting her must have been an extraordinary experience. Well, yes, and 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 no. Uh, in a sense, you know, she said, you know, it's not important whether we meet each other or not. Or not. We have, we had uh, experienced and encountered each other on on heart to heart on such a level, kind of beyond words. In fact, I think she was a little, you know, a little nervous about our meeting mm-hmm. that I would be disappointed. You know, that 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 <laughs> you know, there's this kind of. Uh, 
<laughs> fabulously uh, entertaining and, and articulate and, and fascinating person who, who comes through in her writings. And, and you know, uh, would I be disappointed that she's actually, you know, very dull or, or very, you know, physically decrepit? Or, <laughs> uh, she kept kind of uh, trying to curb my expectations about this. And she made it very clear, of course, that she wouldn't be attending my retreat. Um, she never did that. But that we would have a chance to meet, and so we did. Uh, uh, early on, when I, I was there for several days, and then very, at the end, when she uh, came out to say goodbye, and uh, you know, I, it's hard to even remember what we what we talked about. Uh, it was just this. Well, uh, her last words to me as she was being wheeled away in her wheelchair by Sister Leslie were: "She grabbed my arm and she said, you know, for me, this is heaven.'" Now, I don't mean it was just being meeting me or shaking my hand or anything, giving me a kiss. But I think that you know that was that was kind of a a theme for Sister Wendy, which is is that heaven is is all around us. You know, if we if we just see through the eyes of the heart, uh, and that was you know one of the kind of. In fact, I I originally wanted to call the book "This Is Heaven." <laughs> And uh, my my colleagues discouraged me and said that they thought it sounded you know too too pious or <laughs> what they thought off putting to people. Uh, and uh, I struggled a lot over the title. Uh, and finally, just the, the the words, "Dearest Sister Wendy," because uh, she she write you know eventually in the early when she was writing "Dear Robert" in the beginning, and at a certain point it became you know "Dearest Robert." Uh, and of course, I responded, "Dearest Sister Wendy." Uh, but I, 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 I hope that people would, you know, read this book by the time they would get it, they would feel that sister Wendy is somebody that they loved also. And that sister Wendy loved them. And the communication between the two of you from dramatically different worlds, Mm -hmm. uh, proving, I think again, that communication is possible between any two people, if the effort is made, uh, honestly. Uh, did you, by the way, share her appreciation of art? Um, not not like hers. <laughs> Sister Wendy was an avid student of art. I mean, excuse me. She, uh, you know, surrounded in her her cell had many um, paintings and icons, and and uh, she. You know, for her, art was not just something pretty on the wall. It was really a kind of a window into uh, deepest kinds of human and sacred realities. And that was something that she tried to share with other people. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's funny is that, that you know, I, I have kind of complicated narrative dreams that I would share with her. And she always listened with great interest, which most people don't. Uh, and she would often sometimes her, her, her own interpretations. And she said, uh, unlike you, my, my dreams often involve art. And she described one dream in particular that I thought revealed so much both about her, the meaning of art for her, but also uh, about her own contemplative vocation. And she said she dreamed that she was looking at paintings of lakes. And then at a certain point, she found that there were actual real lakes and she was walking around them and looking at the lakes. And then she began to realize that the, the, there was something the matter with the lakes, that they were poisoned or polluted in some way. 
And then she had a deeper experience that the lakes were actually inside of her. And that somehow by going through her own sort of bloodstream or whatever, the lakes were being purified. And she said, it really it tells you something about, about prayer and, and the Christian life. Is that you know through our our prayer, through our devotion, through our faith, that we can have some sort of healing effect on the world around us? Uh, and she said, "That's you know that's why we don't just flit off to heaven because God's lakes n- need us." You know, and that to me mm-hmm. connected very much with 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 Dorothy Day also. You know, who loved to quote Dostoevsky's line, "The world will be saved by beauty." Uh, Dorothy lived, mm. you know, his sister Wendy lived in a in a room without a window, basically, uh, in a kind of cell, literally. Uh, she said, at least I, I have books to remind me of what a, a tree looks like, or something like that. But uh, art uh, was this window on 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 something true and and beautiful, and a reminder that pointed us toward the source of beauty and the source of truth. And Dorothy Day didn't live in a little cell like that, but she lived in the slums, surrounded by uh, poverty and destitution and uh, ugliness and violence. Uh, but she had this eye always to be able to see beyond that uh, to something beautiful in other people, uh, in, in uh, moral action, uh, in kindness, in community. Uh, and that would point you toward something ultimately real and true and beautiful beyond the surface, you know, kind of levels. And that that was something that was that I got very much from Dorothy. This idea that that uh, responding to beauty, you know, maybe it's easy if you live, you know, you go to the museum every day or listen, to, you know, to, to concerts. But to be able to have an eye for beauty, even when you know other people just see ugliness. Uh, is a real spiritual discipline, and it actually has a, a, a healing and uh, a sanctifying effect on the world around you. Playwright Bill Kane said about the book in their fascinating emails, these two brilliant souls reflect one another, challenge one another, share dreams, disappointments, and hope. And here they are enclosed in slightly more than 300 pages of letters back and forth. And the title of the book is Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. Sister Wendy Beckett and Robert Ellsberg involved with this correspondence. How many letters are there total? Have you counted them? I never did. Uh, uh, It's hard to say because I I, I don't cut this way down. Uh, Originally, after she died, I began reading through it and there were, you know, it was about 350,000 words, and the the final book is more like 120,000 words. So, so massive editing. Uh, I wanted to not just preserve uh, the uh, the kind of you know highlights of back and forth, but as I read through it, you know, it also was clear to me that there was a kind of story involved. There was more of a narrative than I than I than I even realized at the time, uh, and it's sort of broken into these three. Uh, parts of the book that reflect the three years that we corresponded. Uh, the first part I called the the art, learning to see, or sort of the art of seeing, uh, and then the second for the art of loving, and the third the the art of letting go. Um, 
and of course, in the last year, there's a lot of sense of Sister Wendy kind of approaching the end of her life, um, and you know, her letting go, but also my having to learn how to let go of of, of her and not to to, to to cling to her, you know. Uh, but there was also an interesting underlying drama that I didn't even perceive so much in the beginning, uh, and it was it was reflected curiously enough in her complicated views about the monk Thomas Merton. Uh, I didn't realize this until I'd read the book a couple of times to realize that she had this obsession with Thomas Merton, always talking about Thomas Merton, but always with an ambivalence. She admired him, and yet she was very critical of him, and she thought he wasn't a real monk, and that he was disobedient, and there were all kinds of, of, of things that seemed rooted in, in in a very deeply personal response, you know, on her part. I thought, well, if you if you don't like him, why do you keep reading him all talking about him all the time? And I would defend Thomas Merton, uh and she would we, we got into arguments about about Merton. And then at a certain point toward the end of the second year, she goes through this amazing uh, transformation where she says, you know, I realize I've been completely wrong about Thomas Merton and that that reflects my own narrowness. And that I, I'm just too limited and to have appreciated uh, what he represented. And I thought that it it really had a kind of parallel in experience that my people listening to this might be familiar with in, in Merton's own life, very famous turning point in his life after he'd been a monk for many years, where he goes into the street in, in downtown Louisville uh, and has this kind of mystical uh, awakening where he suddenly says it's as if he was awakening from a dream of, of separation, of false separation, uh, you know, thinking that uh, that there was this separation between the, the ideal, perfect world of the monastery and the kind of uh, complicated, sinful, fallen world outside. And he says, I, you know, I suddenly realized I loved all these people, uh, that, you know, they were all walking around shining like the sun, the gate of heaven is everywhere, you know. It's, and it was a turning point in his life. And he then, after that, began to kind of reach out to the world to write more about peace and social justice and that sort of thing. And I felt that here, coming at the very end of, of, of Sister Wendy's life, something like that was happening to her as well, that she was breaking out of this kind of somewhat narrow, ascetical uh, world as, 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 as a hermit. But, I mean, not to go out into the world, but in, like, like Merton, to realize that, that her her vocation of prayer was not just for her own sanctification, but really uh, to, to go out and to extend to, to the world in a spirit of love. It, it was, uh, it, I thought it was just a remarkable for somebody who, 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 who took pride in the fact that she never edited a single word in anything she'd ever written. She'd say, what I've written is what I've written. And here she was like revising deeply entrenched kinds of attitudes and judgments uh, and I think, you know, opening up to uh, to become uh, a more open, accepting, freer person. And her way. name is Sister Wendy Beckett. His name is Robert Ellsberg. The name of the program is The God Show. And I'm Pat McMahon.